Hello, and welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. On this series, we explore the opportunities and challenges facing the higher education business office. Today, we're going to continue talking about higher education's top five business issues. We explored these issues in a brief in September of 2022, and we're continuing to examine each issue individually. And Today, we'll be looking at uh, the concern raised by our business officers about supporting and maintaining the workforce. Uh, when we spoke to them, they raised concerns on every angle you can think of when it comes to human resources at colleges and universities from employee retention to employee morale. And I am delighted today to be joined by Andy Brantley, President and CEO of the College and University Professional Association for Human Resources, or you might know them as Coupa HR, as well as Choi Halliday, Deputy Executive Director of Business Operations Washington State Board for Community and Technical Colleges, and also a Nakubo board member. Andy Choi, welcome. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Liz. Great to be here. We are delighted to have you here today. Let's uh, jump right in uh, with uh, a question for Andy on uh, some recent research you did at Coupa HR. Coupa HR in 2022 launched a higher education employee retention survey to better understand the proportion of the higher ed workforce that might be a risk for leaving their current jobs, why those employees might be considering leaving, and what institutions can do to increase retention and improve the higher ed workplace. Uh, From my perspective, those results were really sobering and really illustrated just why our business officers told Nakubo that workforce concerns are keeping them up at night. Andy, can you share some highlights of the findings? Absolutely. And and Liz, business officers across the country are uh, right to be concerned about our workforce. And regardless of what you call it, whether it's reshuffling people going to different industries or reinventing full-time to part-time to contract or reassessing, you know, what's really important in life, whether it be commitment to family, child care, et cetera, we are in a recruitment and retention crisis. And for some of our colleges and universities, the challenges are extraordinary. Uh, As you mentioned, our retention survey, there were six key findings, and I wanted to quickly kind of go through those to kind of set the tone for the rest of our conversation. Please. The first, approximately 35% of higher education employees are very likely to look for new opportunities in the next year with an additional 22% somewhat likely. So it doesn't take a mathematician to determine that's more than half of our administrators and staff workforce that is at risk. Two, of those thinking about leaving, approximately two-thirds told us they would look for employment at another higher institution. Yay, great, within higher ed. And around 43% said they would also look within their institution. Of concern is that more than half said they might look at other nonprofits and more than 60% said they would look at the private sector. So that was the second finding. The third, more than three-fourths are seeking, are likely to seek new employment because they want an increase in pay. Not a surprise to any of us. Also of concern is that around half said they desired more remote work opportunities, and nearly one-third 
said they wanted more flexible work schedules. The fourth finding, two-thirds of our employees work more hours each week than is considered full-time. And of significant concern, 10% of our employees said that they worked 16 hours or more per week in addition to their normal work hours. The fifth finding, there were significant areas of discontent for our employees. Probably not a surprise to any of us, but let's name them. Here are the four. One, opportunities for advancement. Two, pay. Three, career development. And fourth, recognition for contributions. And then the last outcome, this was the sixth of the six, benefits of significant interest, benefits that became even more important since the pandemic. So we're talking about things like childcare discounts and subsidies, remote work, schedule flexibility, and parental leave policies received the highest levels of dissatisfaction in the survey. So I could go on, Liz, but I think that's more than enough to get our conversation started. We certainly heard uh, some of these factors come up in conversations with business officers. Uh, Choi, let's look at uh, research findings in practice. How or do these findings ring true for you and your experience working with your institutions across the state of Washington? You know, as Andy was uh, going down that list, uh, unfortunately, I was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that's us. Oh, yeah, that's us. Pretty much at every single turn. Uh, and, and it really is. Uh, we're not certainly immune. And of course, I know our uh, community college system here in the state of Washington uh, better than I know uh, the uh, other um, uh, universities and colleges. But um, I, in my conversations with some of the leadership of uh, the four-year universities, as well as uh, some of our private uh, institutions as well, I'm, I really am hearing very similar things here. Uh, you know, the overall uh, turnover rates that we're seeing um, are are really incredible, you know, unprecedented. We're seeing uh, schools where, you know, um, of our 34 colleges, where within the last few weeks, they, they had 50% of their um, business office staff uh, vacant. Um, wow. You know, wow. And, and we're seeing that, uh, you know, numbers in the 25, 30, 40% are becoming sort of the new normal where people are just saying, well, we, we have to figure out ways around this uh, rather than, oh, my gosh, you know, the, the my hair is on fire and, 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 you know, there's something really wrong here. So uh, it, it is really similar to the kinds of trends that, that Andy uh, was pointing out. You know, we're seeing such long uh, time to, to fill positions. We're seeing uh, so many more failed searches than we have. Our, you know, candidate pools are smaller than they ever have. I was just talking to a college that had a finance director, accounting director position that they were recruiting for. And uh, this was their second attempt at filling it. And their pool was one. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, you can just kind of tell the kinds of stress uh, that we're facing. And, and, you know, overall, um, the uh, colleges and universities in our state um, have been 
uh, long sort of competing for talent with a lot of very strong private sector employers as well. You know, so if you're in the same uh, in the same employee market as Microsoft and Amazon and Boeing and some of the really big names that we all hear about, um, that also makes it difficult because it's it is really hard to to uh, stay competitive on wages, stay competitive on stock options, which, you know, very few of our colleges have, obviously, um, and uh, things of that nature. So we're always really looking for our employees, and and they're, they've always stepped up around the notion of mission, around the notion of um, where uh, do you see yourself contributing to our society? Is it really just in your salary or, or do you want to make a significant difference and uh, make a, um, a, a lasting contribution to, to our society? Uh, but, but as we all know, that especially in an era of double-digit inflation and those kinds of things, um, we can't put, uh, you know, we can't put mission on the table to feed our families. So, so uh, obviously compensation is a really big deal. And then finally, you know, um, as Andy was talking about flexibility and, uh, and, and the work, uh, workplace, we're seeing so many employees throughout our, our colleges talk about uh, the difficulty in, in um, handling and juggling their family duties as well as, uh, as work. Um, and uh, trying to figure out ways that that they can make all of that work for them, and and not feel like uh, they're less than at work because they're having to worry about uh, the the things that that they need to uh, back at home. And so, uh, I think anything we can do as employers to try to figure out ways to meet employees where they're at, and uh, find ways to uh, provide that flexibility will go a long way to uh, having them not think about uh, leaving and going somewhere else. One of the things that as we think about turnover across the country, uh, as part of some of the work that we've been doing, I was looking back at our turnover data, looking at the entire higher education workforce for last year and what we reported for exempt employees across the institution, excluding faculty, but just looking at administrators and staff, our turnover rate for higher education exempt positions last year was 15%. And for non-exempt positions, so our hourly paid employees, uh, that rate was even higher, 17%. So, So think about that. So what does that mean in terms of real numbers? That means for our exempt staff, one out of every six positions turned over last year. And for our non-exempt staff, one out of every six or seven positions turned over last year. And as we all know, that churn for certain positions was obviously much higher uh, than that, depending upon the position, depending upon the area, and a lot of the things that Choi just referenced. Choi, I'm wondering, in a state as large as the state of Washington, are, are you seeing any either urban and rural differences or any kind of differences that play out differently in Spokane than they do uh, in Seattle, where uh, I think you the, the technology competition you referenced largely lives. But uh, what other regional considerations should folks be thinking about? You know, what's really interesting is, and I think it follows a national trend, early in the pandemic, um, rural colleges were actually having a little bit of easier time recruiting 
than the urban colleges were. And that's definitely a, a flip from, you know, kind of the norm. Um, but there was a, a kind of a national trend of of employees wanting to move more into rural areas to kind of get away from population centers and, and that kind of thing. So um, uh, what we've definitely seen, though, is that that's kind of flipped the other direction again. But uh, the, the, the underlying kind of current with all of that is that we are starting to see a much broader application of the notion of that digital nomad, uh, you know, workforce, even in higher ed. And so uh, there are, um, you know, interestingly enough, I know uh, within our system, uh, there are folks who live 150, 200 miles from the college that they're employed uh, with. Um, and they might actually even be living only a few miles from a different college that they're not employed. With. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it, it is a very interesting way that we're seeing kind of that shift of employees from being kind of tethered to a geographic location and being able to kind of shop their talents around in a much broader area. So, Choi, with, if I could build on that, I was in a conversation with a group of chief HR officers just uh, in November, and one of our colleagues shared with his other colleagues, uh, just so you know, we are recruiting broadly for certain kinds of positions, and it's possible that one of our employees could be one of your former employees and still be just a block from your campus. So, it, it really, when we think about the competition for talent. You know, we often think, well, it's the private sector, you know, stealing our employees away or all of the other things. But those institutions that are figuring out ways to be more innovative and flexible, particularly with certain types of positions in terms of where the work is performed and how it's performed, are really making significant progress while others who are still tied to a very old school notion that everyone must be sitting in a seat at a desk, eight to five, Monday through Friday in a building, you know, so prescribed. So it really is an interesting transition. And and I think that that transition is going to continue. And some of the struggles that you referenced earlier are going to continue to play out in different ways. And I think a lot of it will relate to the degree to which we as employers are willing to, as you said, meet our employees where they are, and the degree to which we're willing to incorporate even small degrees of flexibility which can go such a long way in recruiting and retaining key talent. You know, Andy, I I think that's uh, an interesting observation, especially for us in the community college sector. Um, This has been really sort of a reckoning for our entire sector because we're so used to being there for our students in a very direct and in-person kind of way. And so it has been very difficult for many, many colleges in the community uh, and technical college space, especially, to get their heads around the notion of how do we provide that kind of wraparound service? How do we uh, deliver that kind of support to our students um, in a more remote uh, or hybrid kind of environment? And I, I think you're you're really um, uh, nail, you know hitting the nail on the head when you say it's those colleges that are going to figure that out early that are really going to be able to benefit from um, both the uh, employee recruitment side as well as the student recruitment side um, of of that equation so that they can actually be able to provide those kinds of services um, the way that they've, they've been used to. No doubt. 
If employees are demanding uh, more flexibilities with childcare, remote work, flexible work schedules, and parental leave policies, uh, employers are going to have to figure those things out and 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 uh, really think about flexibility. For the longest time during the height of the pandemic in 2020 and 2021, we talked about getting back to normal. But uh, I think the lesson we're all learning is that we are not back to normal. We are back and nimble. Um, and uh, I'm wondering, given these challenges and, and choice uh, concerns that he just raised, Andy, do you have any particular points of light or innovative stories that you've heard <laughs> or inspired approaches where uh, colleges are meeting some of these workforce challenges? Yes, there are inspiring things happening across the country. And, uh, you know, while there might be examples that that we could share from different types of institutions, I think there are several key elements that we should be looking for that are part of that inspiration. And, you know, and to your point, we are creating the workforce for 2023 and beyond. And that workforce looks and interacts with us differently. It, I mean, face it, for all of us, the pandemic changed us. In some way, shape, or form, it changed every one of us. So as we think about the workforce moving forward, there are some key things that we should see, you know, those sparks of light in terms of what we do. And just a few of them, uh, obviously, finding more flexible, remote options for work, uh, being mindful of employee workload. Remember the, the stat that I said that, you know, 10% of our employees are working 16 hours or more. That's extraordinary. So acknowledging when that is occurring and doing our best to address those kind of issues, uh, recognizing employees for their achievements and their accomplishments and letting them know how much we care about them and their career. We as a higher education sector of employers have done a poor job overall in helping our employees enhance their competencies to be more productive at our institutions to have career mobility within our institutions and within higher education. And some of the examples that Choi just gave us are the result of that, because we have not created that pipeline within our institution to prepare the individuals who could and should be next for those uh, for those higher level roles. We are now suffering uh, because of that. So it's time to make sure that that's a priority. The other thing we referenced earlier, parental leave policies. If an institution does not already have a very meaningful paid parental leave policy in place, now is the time to put one in place. That is a, a key thing that our workforce is looking for. And it's something that we as good employers should be providing. And then one of the outcomes I didn't mention earlier that I think is really important in terms of those thinking forward with our workforce is our supervisors, making sure that we're talking to our supervisors about what they need, how we're helping them fill their jobs. And I think more importantly, helping them understand that they really do have the power to advocate on behalf of their staff. So while there are many points of light you know, in our limited time today, I wanted to make sure that I was sharing some of those key issues that should be some of those points of light that should be standing out for all of us at different types of institutions across the country. Andy, you've chatted about uh, 
the relationship between employer and employee. But two critical roles in this equation are the chief human resources officer and the chief business officer uh, who needs to find the, the financial resources to meet some of these challenges. Uh, what, what can chief business officers or CFOs do to partner with CHROs uh, given all of these challenges? I think one of the most important roles of chief HR officers and chief business officers is that we are organizational advocates and champions. And that means that there is this part of our work that's focused on being an employee advocate and part of our work that's focused on the organization as a whole, what's in the best interest of the organization. And as we think about, I mean, all these issues that we just shared in terms of turnover, those are sustainability issues for our campuses. If we are not maintaining a workforce to perform the core functions of our campus, that is of significant importance to both CBOs and CHROs. So the degree to which we're partnering to find additional resources to ensure that we're paying adequately, but to also be willing to make some of these adjustments for our workforce in terms of flexibility, making some changes in some of the benefits and some of those things of areas of discontent that I referenced earlier that don't all cost a lot of money for us to address. And we outline those more clearly in the survey results. But I think that's a list of some of the ways that we could partner. I'm not sure those aspirations come with an easy button, but they might come with an it's not as hard as you think button. Uh, and with that in mind, let me turn back to Choi to say or to comment on uh, any considerations that your uh, system of community and technical colleges have made or might be considering. You know, before I address that, I just want to go back to something that Andy was saying. Um, and I think that relationship between the chief human re resource officer and the chief business officer is one of the critical ones on, on any campus at, at any college. Um, for me, I've been really fortunate through my uh, career to have uh, been, been able to partner with some really great uh, HR officers who, who thought about their role as a sort of strategic thinker. Um, and really, in, in concert with the chief business officer, when you look at uh, the sort of overall spend of an institution, you know, most institutions, 75, 80, 85 percent of, of their overall spend is is on personnel. And uh, so you, when you think about that and you, you sort of take a step back, it's uh, you can either think of that as, oh, geez, that's the largest cost center, or you can think of it as, wow, that's our biggest area of investment. And so how do we get the most out of that investment. And that's where that partnership between the uh, HR officer and the business officer really can you know, gain fruition uh, to figure out what are those ways in which uh, the, the amount of the budget that's going into our personnel really can be optimized for uh, making the institution better, meeting its mission in a better way. So I do think that you know, in that kind of partnership, you do get that ability to think about what are the investments, where are the key investments that you can make uh, in order to uh, be able to move the institution forward. And while, you know, there is no easy button, there certainly are ways for us to think through 
um, what are the uh, investments that make the most sense? And, uh, you know, some of the things that we're looking at here are uh, around uh, developing pipelines for, uh, for uh, you know, career advancement in such a way that we're building our own. Um, we instead of trying to constantly recruit from outside to to fill uh, positions, and uh, we're also realizing with so many of our recruitments getting uh, pools that are so small that we really have not done a good job of figuring out ways to get that pool to be larger. And so uh, we are making a concerted investment across the state through our uh, system on leadership development on. Uh, making sure that there's practical skills as well uh, for for those uh, mid-tier managers uh, in order to move them up uh, throughout and making sure that we all kind of understand that, you know, if we have a really talented dean, a really talented, you know, accounting director at one institution, it's not a loss if they end up moving up to become, you know, a vice president at a different institution in our system, that that's not a loss for us. That's actually something that's actually very good. And so looking at it more systemically, figuring out where those key investments are really is the uh, the path forward that I think will work. So Choi, if I can build upon that, as we think about key investments, and as we think about what those are in terms of the competencies needed in the workforce. One of the things that I challenge our HR leaders across the country, and I'll challenge our business officers too, you know, look at the positions that are posted for your campus right now and how many of them have this gigantic laundry list of requirements that may or may not be required. And so part of our mind frame and HR is the worst at this is like, you know, how many competencies are really needed to successfully perform that job. So that could significantly change. If we were to change just a few of those on some of our positions, it could significantly change our pool of applicants and also could significantly change the diversity of our applicant pool. It could also help us more clearly acknowledge that part of the reality of this current workforce is we're not going to get that laundry list of competencies, but getting some portion of them is a great thing. And knowing that part of our responsibility is to grow that person into those other competencies. We see that challenge quite a bit here at Nakubo, that uh, there are a lot of business officers that wonder about the next generation of chief business officers. uh, And uh, I think we do see some bias where we see some current leaders wanting the next leader to come with all the skills that uh, chief business officer may already have. Uh, but they, what those uh, CBOs may have forgotten is what they learned on the job uh, once they were in the role. And uh, I think you can see that play out at many different levels of an organization. Uh, I also think that in today's world, especially around notions of diversity and uh, the fact that uh, in order to meet our missions, we really do have to think differently about the way we approach both recruitment and, and uh, retention. It, it's that notion of... You know, most uh, of the time when we are filling positions, we dust off the old job description, kind of make a few little tweaks around the edges um, and then say, oh, yeah, that, that's what we need. Um, and in reality, maybe that's not uh, the, the best approach, uh, given the fact that that's gotten us to where we are now, 
right? And and we're we're talking about all the challenges we have right now. So uh, perhaps a, a different way of approaching that and being more open to the notion that uh, just a little tweak around the edges of our current job description and wanting all the same competencies and skills that got us to to this position uh, may not be the thing that gets us um, and really moves us forward. Andy, you talked about being an organizational advocate, and Choi, you talked about how as we're training people for the next step in the career, even if they find that at another institution, you imply that we're doing something good for higher education uh, as we do that. Uh, let's, as we head toward the end of this conversation here, talk for a minute about the perception of colleges and universities from an employee perspective uh, and remembering that employees are perhaps maybe students, they may be parents of college students, and they're part of a general public where there have been some real shifts in attitude about higher education and the value of higher education. I'm wondering if you've seen some of those shifts change uh, related to workforce issues. That is a shift in the value of proposition of working in the higher education sector. Andy and Choi, just a, a few short comments on that before we wrap up here. We must take the narrative. Uh, if we do not create our own narratives, others create it for us. One of the things that I share with leaders around the country is that it's a war for talent. It really is a war for talent. And we have to do a better job of marketing and promoting our organizations as employers of choice because they are. It's a great place to work. There's a great culture overall. Our survey results uh, indicated that. So we have to do a better job of marketing all of those things that make our organizations unique and special. And also talking about this uh, wonderful culture that we get to be a part of. So Marketing communications should be all a part of our competencies as supervisors and managers recruiting. I also agree that the story um, and the narrative that we uh, have been um, sort of been part of over the last 30, 40 years hasn't been positive. Um, we've really lost sort of control of that narrative. Um, and uh, there's a, a growing, uh, probably, you know, um, if not already um, pretty sizable uh, percentage of the population who really question whether higher ed in general uh, has any worth. Um, and and I, I do think that that's a, a really big challenge. Um, and and overall, uh, I I see it as not just the marketing and and uh, just the the communications, but you know where are we in terms of leading by example, leading by um, doing the things that we say uh, are are uh, invaluable and what our contributions are um, to society, so that uh, it becomes more evident that oh no no the, you know higher ed is a place where uh, good things happen um, that. That uh, the seeds for the next generation are developed in, in ways that are positive and uh, really contribute to advancing uh, who we are and, and where we're going. In terms of investment and, and those kinds of things, we know that you know colleges have struggled for years in convincing legislators or uh, other groups to, to to that they're a positive investment. And I do think that. 
we are starting to hit a little bit of an inflection point in that where, um, you know, for the last 10 to 12 to 15 years um, that we've been struggling with that message and it's starting to get a little bit easier, uh, honestly. Uh, you know, we had a really bold initiative here in the state of Washington uh, with our community college uh, system. We submitted a budget request to our legislature to uh, raise uh, salaries for all of our employees, top to bottom, uh, front to back, um, by significant amounts. It was a $150 million ask. And... Um, Many of the naysayers said, you know, you're going to get laughed out of the room uh, in, in this conversation. And uh, we didn't. Uh, we didn't uh, get laughed out of the room. There was a lot of awareness that, yes, we have allowed um, the higher education uh, salaries to kind of fall behind. Um, and, you know, money is tight. We'll see what we can afford to, to bite off. Um, you're probably not going to get all of it, but but there may be uh, some things we can do and, and move forward with. So I, I do see some light at the end of the tunnel, both on our narrative side, as well as on the convincing policymakers and others that the the investment's worth it. And uh, I, I, continuing that over the next several uh, years and, and, you know, decades is, is going to be the challenge. Andy, some of the statistics you shared earlier were very sobering, but the conversation with both of you, um, Choi and Andy, has, I think, really been testament to uh, the notion that while we have challenges ahead of us, we are employers, colleges and universities and the higher education sector in general, um, are employers that offer really unique and rewarding uh, work experience and career experience. Um, as I wrap things up here, uh, let me just check in uh, once again with each of you. Do you have any additional comments or thoughts that you may like to share? Uh, Choi first? Not a lot to add. I think we had a great conversation, but uh, the, my key takeaway out of all of this is that um, the, the, there is no going back to normal. This is the new normal, <laughs> and that we are just going to have to figure out ways in which uh, we can, as a sector, uh, retain and attract uh, new uh, talent to to our offices and to our workplaces, um, and that the the key to all of that is has got to be um, flexibility and our ability to to meet employees uh, where where they are. And I think I would add to that. Uh, there's a quote from Gallup CEO Jim Clifton that references their State of American Workplace study. Uh, which, as I think you're aware, is decades of interviews with over 25 million employees. And here is his quote, the single biggest decision you make in your job, bigger than all the rest, is who you name as a manager. When you name the wrong person, nothing fixes that bad decision. Not compensation, not benefits, not flexible work, nothing. So at the heart of all of this, as we're thinking about all these programs and things we should be doing, we have to remember to focus on that culture in those particular areas. And cultures with bad managers have typically much higher turnover than others. So keeping that in mind as we're thinking about all these programs is also critically important for our sustainability now 
and into the future. Well, thank you, Andy. Thank you, Choi. Thank you, listeners, for joining on us on this state of higher education journey. Uh, as a reminder, listeners, you can subscribe to Nakubo and Brief wherever you may listen to your podcasts. And the resources we've named in this episode will be made available on the Nakubo and Brief webpage. Once again, thank you all. <laughs>